Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans. Welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I critique and argue (laughs) over horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe never learn anything. Maybe we never quite enlighten you (laughs) on anything with these films. But we try. And so hopefully you just have a good time listening. So tonight we are continuing our deadly summer camp theme with the 1983 classic Sleepaway Camp. Uh, Written and directed by Robert Hiltzik, uh, who also did the film Return to Sleepaway Camp, which I believe is the fourth film in the franchise. Uh, Yes, there are four. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and it's essentially about a couple campers named uh, Angela and Ricky, who are cousins who are sent off to Camp Arawak, I believe it's called. And anyway, they get there, and long story short, people begin dying. And <laughs> and it's a really interesting slasher that deals with younger kids as opposed to, like, just older teenagers, kind of like how most of these camp slashers are, right? Or just slashers in general. Uh, but before we get into that, we do have our spoiler-free content, so we'll let you know we're about to get into spoilers with this. So as far as releases coming out this week... Uh, a couple I want to throw your way. First up is a film called Super Deep, which is coming to Shudder. And this is... Why are you smiling already? Are you just... Do you not like the title? <laughs> no, it's just... I'm thinking about the whole, like, Batman controversy right now, and my brain just went to a very dirty place. Yeah. <laughs> wow, we can't we can't get two minutes in the podcast without talking about Batman eating people out. <laughs> no, nope, Or not, not this, eating not... people out in this case. Apparently. <laughs> Um, yes, no, Batman is not getting super deep into anything, Apparently uh, especially not. not in this movie, but no, super deep is a Russian creature feature, uh, eco horror film. So it's basically about this scientist and a bunch of soldiers and researchers who are sent deep into this lab in the eighties, uh, to recover a microbe or something that they're working on. And without spoiling, let's just say that they get down there and they discover, like, what I describe as true hell, where it's, like, <laughs> you know, just all kinds of crazy, like, body horror and monsters. And, like, I- I'm making it sound probably cooler than it is, you know, oh. actually. <laughs> Shudder shared a quote from my review this week where I-, I said something about, like, how you'll gas gargle and choke on your screams or something like that <laughs> and, and i do believe that like there there is some body horror in this movie and some creature work that is incredible uh the only problem with super deep is that it's maybe it, the, the the creatures maybe aren't quite as in the film as much as you would like oh. you know there there is a lot of kind of like off-screen stuff and you know i felt like it could it, it kind of feels like aliens, but without as much of the aliens as you would like. So and there's not much alien in aliens. <laughs> there are lots of aliens and aliens. What the hell are you talking about? I always get alien and aliens confused. I, that goddamn s. 
Yeah, no. Uh, don't listen to Chris on, no, never any, to on anything, really. Um, so, uh, but, but but it is a really good film. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I know there are others who haven't liked it as much, but I really dug it. So definitely check that out when it comes to Shudder. And these will all be out by the time you're listening to this. Uh, but another one that I just want to throw your way again, I mentioned it last week when it was coming to theaters, and it's coming to VOD this week, so I want to mention it again. And that is the film Censor, uh, which is coming to VOD, and it's all about the video nasty era and this editor who cuts out all the violence and sex from these movies and ends up kind of losing it a bit and, you know, thinks that she sees uh, her long-lost sister in one of these movies and is, like, trying to track her down. And her, her reality and the violence of these movies kind of begin to collide until you don't really know what's real and what's not. And it's very colorful and violent and just very, very cool movie. It was my favorite film at Sundance. And, and, and for those of you who know me, there was a cool werewolf movie in that <laughs> in Sundance, too, this year. So it should tell you a lot that Censor was my favorite movie. It beat out the werewolf movie? <laughs> it beat out the werewolf movie, which I also Oof. really like. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, so that'll be out by on VOD by the time you're listening to this. Uh, so we always post up a poll on our Twitter at Killer Critics, just kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film. So... With Sleepaway Camp between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never see it, and never seen it, where do you think our audience falls on this one? I feel like it has to be love it. Like Sleepaway Camp, while being problematic, um, is a really fun slasher film with really intense kills that I feel like it's really hard to not have it have a special place in your heart. Yeah, so it it love it did win out for this one. Yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. love it got sixty two point three percent. Uh, it's fine. Got twenty seven point nine percent. Don't like it was three point three percent, and never seen it was six point six percent. And that those results honestly don't surprise me at all. I think what's interesting about Sleepaway Camp is, you know, t- to someone like you or me, it it is a fun slasher. It is very interesting. It's very different, honestly, when you compare it to a lot of other slashers from the time. Yeah. Uh, so it definitely stands out in that regard. I can also though understand those who aren't in love with it. Because it is a bit problematic, which we'll get into, although I do have my own feelings on that. But it's also a very ugly movie. Like, the, <laughs> like, like the kills and, and stuff like that in this film are, are gruesome, to say yeah. the least, you know? They are it, not pretty. It's funny, because you watch, you watch, you know, more popular movies like Friday the 13th is another camp slasher, right? And you want, like, any Friday the 13th movie, you know, th- those films were always harassed by the MPAA for having violent kills and stuff like that. Nothing in the Friday franchise is as honestly sickening as, like, some of the kills that happen in Sleepaway Camp. And and it's honestly, you know, kind of shocking that this film got an R rating initially and that the director didn't have to go through the motions to bring it down from an NC-17 or something, because this movie is pretty damn graphic (laughs) this one just got an r rating yeah it's actually funny it's actually kind of funny listening to the director talk about it because you know he'll mention how he was afraid of getting an nc-17 rating and then the mpaa called him up and they're like hey so we got bad news and he thought it was going to be you know we got to rate you nc-17 or x or whatever and they're like yeah we got bad news and he's like oh god what is it and they're like well we had to give you an r rating and he was like, "Are you kidding me? That's great!" So like, you know, this is the so, one time the ratings people kind of come through. 
Well, I wouldn't say they come through, yeah. but but it's the one time. Let's put it this way: it's the one time the ratings people didn't fuck up yes. about that. Because <laughs> usually the rating, you know, the MPAA is a scourge on film and humanity in general. I fucking hate them. Yep. So, <laughs> which by the way, if you've never seen the documentary, this film is not yet rated. I highly suggest watching that. It's all about how the MPAA sucks, <laughs> and so you should definitely check that out so you can learn a lot about why the MPA is bullshit, and why putting ratings on art is bullshit. Agreed. And I'm only saying that because of all this fucking controversy lately over, you know, labeling and stuff for art. And I just want to say, look, my opinion on it, art art is subjective. Art is going to give you different feelings, you know. And, yeah. I, and I don't think it's on the artist if you have a reaction to the art. It's not their fault. They can't anticipate millions of people <laughs> and each individual's personal reaction. That's not saying that it's okay that you have that reaction, but just to say that look, the more limits we place on art, the less I think interactive it is. Yeah. Alright? So, <laughs> so that's my take on that. But anyway, uh, so we also like to get comments on uh, the film from our listeners, and these are all from Twitter, so uh, a few that I pulled here First up is at Cart Corner, so this is C-A-R-T Corner, and they say something about the quotable dialogue, crazy Aunt Martha, the psychosexual plot, the inappropriate relationships, foul mouth Ricty, the acting, bitch Judy, the wardrobe, etc., <laughs> all add up to one of my all-time faves. <laughs> I agree. Basically, everything you just listed is why I love this movie so much. Just, you can't get through this movie with a line like, eat shit and live. Like It's the best. Yeah, without <laughs> loving this film. And in terms of the wardrobe, can I just bring up what a shame it is that we no longer have slutty 80s clothes for men? Can we bring back crop tops and, like, short shorts for men? I mean, look, the way I look at it, just bring back crop tops and short shorts for everybody. You I know? mean, like- <laughs> women are already wearing short shorts and crop tops. The men need to catch up. I will I will say this, that, you know, like, look, I <laughs> I definitely understand, you know, the, the group of men out there that sees that and is like, well, I would never wear that. That's fine. That's you know, fine. We're all allowed to wear what we want to wear. But I will say that, you know... We should still be given the option. Yeah. Like, if, if men want to wear, you know, stuff like that and the crop tops and the short shorts, we should be allowed to, you know? Like, yeah. if I if I want to go out looking slutty as fuck, I should be allowed to go out looking <laughs> slutty as fuck without judgment, right? I so. want the opportunity to objectify men. <laughs> exactly. Give if me. If we're allowed to objectify women, if, if society is allowed to objectify women, we should be allowed to objectify men in their clothing as well. Equal and, opportunity. And, and I've always, like, look, you know, I, I don't know how often I would wear a crop top and short shorts, but I will say... That I've always found men's clothing to be kind of boring because I can't be super slutty with it all yeah. the time. So, <laughs> so no, I I totally agree. That should that should come back. But, but anyway, yeah, no, Car Corner, you listed everything that's great about this film. I, I 100% agree. And I'm glad that they mentioned the wardrobe, too, because that's that's not really something that I feel like a, a lot of listeners or really anybody points out with Sleepaway Camp. But it is part of kind of what makes this film so fun. Yeah. So. I mean, Judy wears a fucking shirt with her name on it. God bless Judy. <laughs> no. <laughs> right, right, right on there, right up there with, uh, what, TP for Madman that we talked about yes. last week, wearing his initials <laughs> on his belt. Cool. Bitches Pow- can't remember their names. Power move, power move, wearing your initials <laughs> on your own clothing. But anyway, so thank you, Car Corner, for the comment. Appreciate it. Next up is at WNS Horror Pod. Uh, and they say, I love this film, the general feel of camp, and from watching behind the scenes, seeing how they had a great time filming it makes it great. 
also very different from stuff at the time. Uh, for me, it's one of the things that I really love about Slave Away Camp because, look, I was a camp kid. Going to summer camp was one of my favorite things to do during summer. And as much as I love summer camp horror, I don't think that there is a film out there that really encapsulates the spirit of going to camp the way that Sleepaway Camp does in this film. Totally. Yeah, and it's so it's a huge like nostalgia thing for me. And then you just watch people get horribly, brutally <laughs> murdered, and it's amazing. I mean, that's what made Summer Camp great, right? Was all the murders yeah, happening. Yeah, the brutal murders. <laughs> I mean, that's what everybody remembers. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, it's it, absolutely, you know, I agree with what you said. Uh, it, it, to me, Sleepaway Camp is kind of the quintessential camp horror film and actually showing camp for what it was. Yeah. You know, that that's something that Hiltzik me- mentions a lot in, in talking about the film is how he wanted to really recreate that feeling. Because uh, he, he actually went to the camp where they filmed, which I thought was interesting. But, you know, you see a lot of other camp slashers and they don't really do that. You know, like a lot of the Friday 13ths are about the camp counselors before the kids even get there. Yeah. And the only one really where there are kids, which is part six, you know, they're they're barely in the movie. So so I do agree with that. And I also like how WNS Horror Pod mentions the behind the scenes filming of it because, you know, I've been digging through a lot of the special features on the Scream Factory disc for this movie. And... And they're right. It is really fun to kind of see, like, how, you know, filmmaking and, and television, you know, they they are really collaborative and therefore kind of like, you know, you become like a family making these things. Like, Chris and I both worked in film for a while, and I still kind of do. You know, Chris, not so much now. Now no. we're in the <laughs> comics. But um, but we both worked in film for a long time. And, you know, there, there really is sort of a camaraderie that comes with that because, you know, you're working these long days. Yep. You're... You're on locations far away from where you live sometimes. Like, sometimes you're in another state. Sometimes you're driving hours and hours away, working 18-hour days or something, you know. So you do begin to form these really close bonds. And what's kind of fun watching behind-the-scenes stuff with Sleepaway Camp is, you know, you just got all these kids there, like all the main cast and extras. And from what I understand, the only parent of the kids that was really around was Felissa's mom, (laughs) uh, Felissa, who plays Angela. So otherwise, it was all these kids just kind of – you know, running around and being kids, and, and it was kind of like being at camp for a lot of them, from what I understand. So that sounds amazing for the actors and awful for the crew. Uh, probably awful for the crew, yeah. but you know, it's probably awful for the kids in a way too, because they're having the. You know, I, I think Angela or I think Felissa talks about how they were actually eating in like those gross places oh. with with the strips that hang down that catch all the flies, right? Gross. <laughs> Uh, but th- anyway, thank you, WNS Horror Pod, for the comment. Appreciate it. Next up is just one I wanted to mention because it's the quote that Chris and I both love where uh, this is a comment from at Erica underscore Harold. So that's E-R-I-C-A underscore H-A-R-R-O-L-D. And they say, I constantly quote, eat shit and live, Bill. <laughs> it's the worst insult you can ever give someone. Because like, okay, look, you, you eat shit and die. Well, you're dead. You don't have to relive that moment. Yeah, you died from the eating of the shit. Yeah, but if you live, you have to constantly have that memory. Oh, you don't have... I I think it's less about having to live and have the memory. I think it's more just that, you know... To me, when someone says eat shit and die... It means, like, I put the shit in my mouth and then I die. Yeah. You know, like, like that's it. Like, I just put the shit in my mouth and I immediately drop dead because of how gross it is. And this comment's more like, you know, you eat shit and live. I eat shit and I have to, I have to sit there and I have to, I have to savor that flavor. I have to, <laughs> I have to really let that flavor just 
work its way through my body and and live with it for hours on end. And then I almost imagine, you know, it's like no one who watched me do that will ever see me without shit on my face ever again. You can't. You know, like you can never escape the image of eating shit in front of people. No. So. <laughs> and, and you can never escape yourself after you eat shit. You know, exactly. once, you, once you eat shit. You have that, like you said, you have that forever. You know that you ate shit for the rest of your life. You have to live with it. And you have to live with that, you know? <laughs> and that's got to be rough. That's got to yeah. be rough, knowing that you ate shit. No matter what kind of shit, human excrement, dog shit, bird shit, whatever you ate, you have to live knowing that you ate that person's or animal's shit. Yep. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thank you, Eric <laughs> Harold, for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, and speaking of quotes like that, so I hate to say ex-editor because it just makes me so sad to think about khc or to think about killer horror critic not being like you know the the website i was trying to make it as but uh my quote-unquote ex-assistant editor caitlin nelson uh at 24th underscore doctor on twitter so that's two four th underscore doctor uh left us a comment saying meet me at the waterfront after the social this movie has objectively some of the best dialogue ever put to screen. It's queer from the beginning and a revenge film. What's not to love? And then she also went on to just kind of ask us if we have a favorite line of dialogue from the movie. Well, I feel like it's very apparent what our favorite line of dialogue from the movie is. I don't is. speak for me. Which okay, one, fine. <laughs> mine is mine is eat shit and live. It's amazing. I do. I do agree with Kevin. Like this is a very queer film from the beginning and one of the things I like is whatever the intention was when the movie came out, because it does seem to be coming from a very homophobic and transphobic place, I feel like it's getting reclaimed now, which I mm. think is awesome. Everything that was kind of vilified or attempted to vilify in the movie, I think is now kind of like a cool call-out thing. I love this movie for some of that messaging, and yes, it is a revenge film, and Angela deserves her revenge, because those kids fucking suck. Oh, 100%. So, so we're going to get more into the, the queer element of it as we go on. But So I won't focus on that right now. But So to answer Caitlin's question, uh, I mean, yeah, Eat Shit and Live is probably my favorite too. Chris can speak for me there. but Damn straight I can. <laughs> but um, Not your wife or nothing. So, so I'm actually going to twist it and say, you know, that I'm actually going to quote my favorite gif of this movie, <laughs> which is... I, I love the gift that circulates Twitter where it has a picture of Judy holding the volleyball and it says Judy Judy's ponytail died for our sins. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just I just love that fucking <laughs> quote on that gif like, cuz it's true. Judy's ponytail did die for our sins. <laughs> I also really like the meet me at, at at the waterfront after the social or whatever because uh, not only is that kind of a classic line that everyone sort of quotes from this, but uh, the one time I did actually meet Felissa Rose in person, she well, Felissa and I kind of we had a little bit of an acquaintanceship where we like messaged back and forth for a bit, and she ended up sending me a signed photo that has that quote on it. So so that quote has a special place in my heart. Um, <laughs> and Felissa's awesome, by the way. I've met her in person, too. She's a real sweetheart. Everybody, if you ever get a chance to meet her, please do. She's great. She, she loves fans to be able to talk to, you know. So anyway, thank you, Caitlin, for the comment. Really appreciate it. And uh, and Caitlin had also mentioned in the comment that she misses us, and I miss Aww. you, too. So. <laughs> 
Uh, and then lastly is a comment from at sinful underscore redhead. So that's S-I-N-N-F-U-L underscore redhead. Uh, and this is Sarah, a friend of mine. Uh, what's up, Sarah? She says, this is one of my favorite movies from the 80s that I didn't even know existed until the early 2000s when my friend told me about the movie. As soon as I saw it, I fell in love with it. I liked the twist ending. It totally caught me by surprise. In all honesty, I didn't see it as a Friday the 13th copycat at all. And then she goes on to mention... Uh, it was a longer comment, sorry, Sarah, but she goes on to mention uh, why why it's not really quite a copycat in her opinion, and then she, and then I just also want to throw out there that she also mentioned that she's going to cover it on her podcast once she hits an 80s section, and you should totally check out her podcast that she does. It's called Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie, uh, so just go follow her on Twitter and you can find it there. Yeah, this is not a Friday the 13th ripoff. And whoever says that has not seen a Friday the 13th movie. Or this um, movie. <laughs> or this movie. Um, And I do agree. I, I saw this movie later. As most of you know, a lot of my horror education has come from Matt showing me films kind of later on in life. Um, So I was really excited when Matt showed me this because I had so much fun with this. Yeah, that twist ending like is is haunting and sticks with you in such a good way. But yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I also agree. And, and, you know, this is surprisingly one that I didn't really catch until, you know, a little bit later as well. I don't know why. You know, when when I was growing up as a kid, you kind of just <laughs> – it's not like now, you know. Like, I I hope kids sometimes, like, understand how sort of good they have it in film discovery. Because when I was a kid, you couldn't just, like – you couldn't just turn on On Demand and order whatever the fuck you wanted anytime <laughs> you wanted, you know. Like – you had, like, sometimes you had to stay up until, you know, 2 in the morning to catch a movie <laughs> if you knew it was coming because you looked through the TV guide to see that it was playing <laughs> later, right? Like, you, you had to actually make a fucking effort <laughs> to see these movies if you really wanted to see them. And so, because of that, you know, you kind of just caught whatever you found at, like, your local blockbuster or Hollywood video or, or mom and pop shop, whatever, or whatever you ended up catching on TV during some kind of marathon or, you know, if you watch Joe Bob Briggs or Sven Gulli or one of those people. But somehow Sleepaway Camp just kind of like slipped past me for a while. Uh, and then when I finally did catch it, I, it was one of those films of like, how the, f how the hell have I missed this my whole <laughs> life, you know? Because it is. It's such an impactful and, and I think important horror film, not to mention one of the most shocking slashers probably ever made yeah so <laughs> so yeah no I, I completely agree and also yes it is not a Friday the 13th copycat <laughs> no we're about to spend an entire episode talking about all the reasons it's different from Friday the 13th and why it definitely is not <laughs> a rip off of that so anyway thank you Sarah for the comment really appreciate it uh so last thing we'd like to do before we get into spoilers just kind of talk about the tagline versus the film what we think of it overall so uh the tagline for sleepaway camp was you won't be coming home <laughs> i mean that seems pretty accurate a lot of those kids died but a lot, a lot of, of them went home too that, that's so. <laughs> true um, i mean whatever b this tagline gets a b i've already said it. i love this movie i think it's super fun dialogue's amazing the kills are so horrific and it is a great revenge film so yeah definitely one of my top slasher films yeah, so this is one I won't spend too much time on because I'm ready to just jump into spoilers with yeah, Sleepaway yeah. Camp. But <laughs> uh, I, the tagline's great. I think it works perfectly for it. So the other thing I just want to add is that, you know, because Chris and I have already been ranting about how much we like this movie. So the last thing I'll just add is I just can't believe that, 
Robert Hiltzik didn't direct another movie until Return to Sleepaway Camp. And they're the only two features that he's done. It's crazy to me. Yeah. It's absolutely insane to me because, like, you know, Sleepaway Camp was a success, too. The movie only cost about, uh, at least as it's reported, only about, like, 350000 something like that. And and I don't know if this is true. I I haven't read the exact numbers on it, but uh, I saw a quote somewhere saying that it made something like 30 times you know the the budget of it so it was a successful film and it, you know it did kind of go like under the radar for a long time uh, you know it, i feel like it didn't really start getting the huge fan base that it has now until the early 2000s when when websites started coming out and being like dedicated to sleepaway camp yeah uh, i forget who the person is that ran it but there was an actual like sleepaway camp fan website that kind of helped build you know the the current following that we have for it but it was a successful movie it's always kind of had a bit of a cult following and it's just shocking to me that you know considering its success and considering like how much risk and heart that robert put into it Mm -hmm. that he didn't do another movie until return to the sleepaway camp yeah that's weird uh it's just kind of a shame because the the guy seems like a talented director you know like this this is a very low budget film, but it doesn't really feel like it. You know, no. it, it does a lot of things very well. So, yeah, just kind of shocked that that never happened. But anyway, so we're about to move into spoiler territory now. So, again, if you have not seen the film, definitely recommend checking that out. I unfortunately did not research this before <laughs> recording this, but I, I do know that it was not too long ago streaming on uh, Tubi and Shudder. I don't know if it's still there, but it probably is. <laughs> uh, so if you haven't seen it, check it out there. Otherwise, it's 100% worth the rental. Yep. So that being said, moving to sports territory now. So as always, who do you want to talk about with Sleepaway Camp? You know, we've got quite a few eccentric characters in this movie. Uh, there's Angela, played by Felissa Rose. Ricky, her cousin, played by Jonathan Tiersten. Uh Judy, who we were talking about, kind of like the bully girl, played by Karen Fields. Who do you want to talk about in Sleepaway Camp? I want to talk about Paul, who's played by Christopher Collette. Yeah, um, Angela's kind of love interest, sort of. Yeah. Fuck Paul. <laughs> Fuck Paul. Paul is a shitty human being, and I'm glad he's dead. Look, I think Paul is a perfect example to look at of those shitty boys who try to pretend like they're on your side, and they're not. They're awful little boys. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. look, my, my issue with Paul, and it's one of the things I do like with this film, is that it is showcasing that your ostensibly good-hearted boys next door, which we see a lot, especially in horror films, are generally no better than a lot of the other shitty boys we meet. Because, yes, Paul is what? nicer... Which is kind of a different take for the early 80s. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's one of the many things that I actually really like about this movie is that, you know, if you again, if you listen to Robert Hiltzik talk about it, he, he mentions a lot on how he wanted to do uh, quite a few things differently than what was coming out at the time. And one thing that you always, always saw in movies, uh, you know, like the ones I'm most familiar with, especially between the 80s and the 90s, and really even still a lot of films up until recently, is is that boy next door character mm-hmm. always being portrayed as more sympathetic? And Paul's really not given that portrayal in this. You know, no. like if like if you actually start to kind of digest what's happening with Paul and 
you know, kind of understand what's going on here, Paul's actually kind of terrible. He's awful. <laughs> Look, this is a dude who, like, yes, he comes at Angela being this soft, caring person, but he pressures Angela. He doesn't respect her boundaries. Like, I, the first time we watch it, I immediately want to punch Paul because he forces <laughs> a kiss on Angela yeah. and then goes, oops, sorry, I hope you're okay that I did that. And then she goes to leave because she's clearly uncomfortable. And he's just like, wait, don't I get another? And it's like, yeah, mother- give me another one, Angela. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> motherfucker, no. Like, it's the one thing. Angela keeps trying to set respectful boundaries. And Paul keeps going, fuck your boundaries. You're a prude. I'm going to go make out with Judy because you won't let me touch you. Like, I'm so glad that you're dead and you got decapitated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is that, that like, anyone who watches this who who is on... I don't, I don't want to say on Paul's side, but who has sympathy for Paul. The thing to understand about Paul is that the director himself says that, you know, he wanted to make a slasher where everyone who dies really has it coming. Yeah. And so when you consider that Paul is the death that we go out on, mm-hmm. just, just understand that that's kind of, to me, that's like the director saying that Paul, maybe more than anybody, sort of deserves to die. Now, that's not quite true. There are people that are worse than Paul in some ways, especially when you consider that there's a pedophile in this movie. (laughs) He probably deserves to die more than anybody, yet he lives, Mm -hmm. granted in pain forever, kind of like the eat shit and live line, right? But Paul, in a sense, I think deserves to die maybe even more than someone like Judy because... Judy's just an asshole. Yes. You know, Judy's just an asshole who is wearing her assholiness out front for everyone to see. Yep. Whereas Paul is manipulative. He's in insidious. His, he's insidious. He's manipulate he's manipulative. He's manipulating Angela. You know, he he's your typical I present myself like a nice guy just so that I can fuck you over later, right? Because yep. Paul, I mean, for God's sakes, like Paul cheats on Angela in this, you know, he goes and makes out with Judy and he has an opportunity, you know, Judy kisses him and she's like, that wasn't so bad, was it? He has an opportunity there to say, you know what? I shouldn't do this and walk away. He kisses her again. Yes. (laughs) And every time that Angela is about to get into trouble with someone, Mm -hmm. you know, like when Meg approaches her on the beach or when Judy approaches her on the, or no, I think it's Meg. When Meg approaches her on the beach and Paul's talking to Angela he sees Meg coming, and he's like, oh, no, here comes the Wicked Witch of the East or whatever. And he goes, I think I'm going to go get back in the water, Angela. You could have stayed there and defended her, Paul. Right? Like, <laughs> bitch boy just pieces out. And it's it's one of the things that I like seeing him get punished because, you know, a person like that in real life is so much worse for someone mentally than someone like Judy. Someone who's just a straight-up bully you know, that's still fucking difficult, and I'm not negating the difficulty of dealing with somebody like Judy, but it's sometimes worse when you have someone who's pretending to be your friend, pretending to care about you, and also making you feel guilty about setting boundaries. That is so toxic, and so I like the fact that he gets fucking decapitated. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so speaking of toxicity, you know, who I wanted to mention just really quick is Meg, played by Catherine Kami, and... (laughs) Fucking Meg should not have a job at this camp Meg shouldn't have a job at this camp (laughs) Meg certainly shouldn't be trying to sleep with her like ancient boss wrinkly (laughs) ball sack of a boss and and, and that's why I wanted to mention her is because you know there are a lot of queer queer themes that we're going to get into with this film 
But looking away from that for a second and just focus, focusing on relationships and sexuality in general, I, I look at Meg and this... I, I, I don't know if I want to call it a relationship because no. you, don't, you don't know how long, if at all, they've been doing anything together. Yeah. Although the film does kind of hint that, like, it's probably happened or at least there's been a lot of flurrying the lead up to it because mm-hmm. you see you see meg come up to mel played by mike kellen uh in the background in the cafeteria at some point and they have like a little conversation then she walks away and he like slaps her ass you know Ew. totally normal <laughs> behavior from from a boss at camp working with teenagers right but but i, I wanted to mention her briefly just because i feel like this film is talking a lot about toxicity with relationships and and you know how that kind of molds all of us in some way right yeah and you know meg to me is actually like for as much of a bully as she is she's actually to me like kind of a sad character in a sense (laughs) because because i think that meg is reflective of this concept of kind of an idea that i think the film's touching on which is that 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 bullying that manipulation that that sexual frustration that you see happening between uh angela and paul and then judy and ricky and you know all these kids kind of going through that Mm -hmm. made to me is sort of reflective of how that doesn't really change as you get older unfortunately you know she's kind of like this sad reminder of like you know the older you get you don't really essentially move on from this sort of toxicity and in fact it almost becomes worse in some ways <laughs> yeah you know because because i view meg as being this person who's like you know who knows maybe maybe she is really attracted to to mel and you know plans a relationship no. and marriage with him and all that no probably not though I, I view her more as being this character who's maybe maybe she's being manipulated by his power maybe there's something else kind of driving her but it all sort of it's all wrong in some senses and it kind of just speaks to like how you know even someone like her who is the bully for Angela she herself is growing up to kind of be manipulated and bullied in a sense by men so <laughs> yeah i think the film is making some kind of commentary on the toxicity of expectations for women in particular cuz i think you see it with Angela, Judy and with Meg yeah. cuz Meg's got a or because Judy has a really iconic line when her and Ricky first greet each other. When he calls her out for talking to boys who are too old for her. And she responds back with, don't you know girls mature faster with boys? Mm. And I feel like that's what you're seeing with both Meg and Judy. This pressure to be more mature, to be pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And then and, you have gross people like Mel taking and, advantage of and it. And that's a great point. You know why? And it's why I like the inclusion of... <laughs> This is going to come off so the wrong way, but it's like, <laughs> but it's why I like the inclusion of Judy having tits in this movie, which is because it, because it touches on the idea yeah. of like, you know, speak, speaking from a guy's perspective, right? Like I didn't have to engage with sexuality until I wanted to, yeah. if that makes any sense, right? Like I didn't, I didn't have to engage with that until I felt comfortable with it. And women don't necessarily, women aren't necessarily given that option because yeah. Someone like Judy, the second she grows tits, you got all these dudes crying around you like, oh, hey, you got tits now. You're ready to go, you know? And it's like, 
it, men men don't go through that. Nope. Men men you know they don't have to have that pressure. Men men's pressure is different. Men's pressure is more like you're you're pressured to you know not be a virgin by the mm-hmm. time you're 18 or 16 or whatever. But but women go through it where it's like once you are shown to have matured quote unquote sexually. Now it's like it whether you're ready or not you got that pressure coming your way. So <laughs> I would say this film is saying that regardless of if you've matured or not, you have that pressure with the inclusion oh, of sure, with yeah. the inclusion of Artie. Yeah. And Artie putting that sexual pressure on the girls he's attracted to who have not even blossomed, which is just his speech is the grossest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. He, he might be one of the grossest characters in slasher film history. <laughs> I never want to hear the term baldies ever again. <laughs> Yeah, it's and this is what I mean though. Like Sleepaway Camp is an ugly movie. It's yep. a fun movie, but it is an ugly film. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and for me, one of the characters that's really kind of interesting that we didn't touch on that is a very complex character for barely being on the screen is the aunt. Aunt Martha, played by Desiree Gold. I'm yep. curious what your feelings on her in particular are. Well, first, I just want to give a shout out to Desiree Gold and and give a rest in peace. Uh, for those who don't know, she actually passed away Aww. this, I think, this year in May. So just want to give a shout out to her before I bash her characters. <laughs> um, but OK, as far as Aunt Martha goes now. Now, look, another thing I want to say is because uh, this was pointed out to me when I announced the schedule for this uh, or for our podcast this month. I'm aware that it's Pride Month. Both Chris and I are going to do our best to talk about the subject of of, of transgender and and queerness in this film at the best that we can. So just please forgive me if I say anything that that's offensive. I don't mean it to be. I'm just trying to talk about this the yep. way the way that I can. So so okay. So Aunt Martha, Aunt Martha is really interesting. Aunt, yeah. Aunt Martha is one of those characters where like she has all of you know one minute of screen time, mm-hmm. and yet. You know, fans who who enjoy the film, or you know, just just basically all of us are still talking about Aunt Martha yeah. all these years later because of that one minute that she's in the movie, <laughs> and you know, it goes beyond Desiree's just like extremely over the top acting. You know, it's actually funny listening to uh, Jonathan Tierson talk about that because that scene with Aunt Martha apparently was the first day of shooting, <laughs> and. <laughs> And Jonathan, you know, he's he's in this interview talking all these years later and how he's in that moment with Desiree Gold just going completely over the top of the dialogue. And he's sitting there on the stairs in this scene just like, what the fuck am I doing in this movie? Because <laughs> he thought that it was all going to be fucking weird like that. <laughs> but Aunt Martha is a fascinating character. And honestly, the, the crux of this film, because, yeah. you know, first of all, she... She changes the conversation, I think, on Sleepaway Camp itself. Because Sleepaway Camp, you know, <laughs> I hate to use the word camp, but it's like you fall into one of two camps with this movie, I think, where yeah. you find where you find it either extremely problematic and and kind of like a a burden's a light way of putting it, but like a burden on the transgender community mm-hmm. or offensive to the transgender community, or you fall in the camp where you say, you know what, it's not as much of that and it's mm-hmm. something else and now i gotta preface with like you know my opinion on this matter doesn't really matter because i'm not part of the transgender community you know yeah. so any so i would take whatever anyone says in that community above what i'm saying mm-hmm. but the way that i view it is that you know i think 
I think it's because of Aunt Martha that this movie actually isn't as necessarily problematic as you might first view it as. Because when you look at this movie, I don't really actually truly believe that if you look at this film in a vacuum and don't mm-hmm. look at the sequels, I don't, like, Angela herself isn't technically transgender. She's forced into this by Aunt Martha. You know, like, mm-hmm. she, like, Aunt Martha forces her to be a girl. You know, because, yeah. like, she, like, she is forcing her to be a girl because Aunt Martha herself is pretty much off her goddamn rock. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> And and she forces Peter, you know the 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 son that we meet er, early in the film. Mm-hmm. She forces Peter to be a girl because she, you know, her husband passed away, I think, and she they got wa- divorced. They got divorced, and she wants a daughter. Yep. So she makes Peter become a girl, and and you have to imagine that you know this is years of like her putting in the Peter's mind of like you have to dress like this, you have to act like this, you mm-hmm. have to do all this stuff. And so what's ultimately really interesting with it is that, you know, I I feel like Angela more kind of represents maybe the feeling of being transgender in the sense that, you know, Peter is essentially being forced to present an identity that he doesn't feel within himself. Yeah. You know, like, I do think Peter is queer. Like, I, Mm -hmm. you know, we we see that with, uh, with his relationship with Paul, but... But I don't think that he's transgender. I don't think Angela's transgender because, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately I think the the violence that is coming out of Angela is because of being forced to present an identity that they don't feel internally. Yeah. You know? You know, I think this movie is the big complicated thing with this movie that we don't get an answer to, which makes it, I feel like, kind of hard to really pick apart, is Angela never tells us where they fall in this. Mm. Because there's no moment with Angela where that character is allowed to affirm how they view their own gender. And so I think with the ant, the ant is the crux of the matter, because I think that there are two ways you can potentially you can potentially view her. Because, yes, you absolutely can view her as somebody who is providing a unsafe household where Peter is not allowed to be who he views himself to be. And that can be really psychologically harmful for somebody. Or you can view her as maybe Peter does want to be Angela. We do have a moment where there's a flashback scene where Peter and Angela before... Angela gets killed as a kid are sitting on the bed and pointing at each other and we don't know how Peter feels about his own gender and I feel like if Peter does feel like he's Angela and it's just straight up Angela getting revenge on these assholes (laughs) to her well you know then the aunt could be viewed as a supportive character oh I definitely don't think that's supportive (laughs) No, I uh, no offense. Yeah. I think that's no. no. I, I don't agree that the aunt's supportive. Like my my here's my thing. So, mm-hmm. I I am with you in the sense that you know we don't get an affirmation from mm-hmm. Peter. You're right. We don't yeah. get an affirmation from Peter or Angela. You know, in in how they feel about their sexuality. We yeah. don't we don't we don't get that answer in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the sequels end up defining it and, and the sequels go a different route. But I think if you're just looking at this movie, uh, we don't get an answer there. Yeah. And, you know, it's because of that where I just feel like, you know, the the whole, 
the whole twist with it uh, of the aunt, you know, forcing Peter mm-hmm. to be Angela. Yep. You know, like, that's the thing. That That's why I don't view the aunt as supportive, and that's why I don't view Peter as technically transgender, because, you know, the, the aunt is forcing him to be that. It's not yeah. Peter's decision. No, it's not. The aunt is saying, you're going to be Angela now. Suck it up and deal <laughs> with it, you know? And and I think it's it's I think it's why now now again please 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 anybody listening to me talk about this please don't hold it against me if I say something wrong it's why I think that part of the transgender community gravitates to the movie mm-hmm. because I think that Peter slash Angela is reflective of just the feeling of everyone wanting you or or making you out to be one sex when you are when you are the opposite of that right yeah and. And so, like, Peter or Angela, you know, going nuts and killing everybody, mm-hmm. I, that's not a result of being transgender, no. which, is why I, which is why I actually think the film's not necessarily positive on the subject, but, but not as problematic as it's made out to be. Mm-hmm. I think that that's more a result of society telling Peter that he's a girl. Yeah, when he's not, when he feels like something else, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it, to me, it comes off as more reflective of what I think the feeling of being transgender would be, in a sense of just like you, 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 you know, you're another sex internally, mm-hmm. but the outside world is making you out to be someone else. Yeah, and that's and that's traumatizing in a sense, right? Like that's that's frustrating, and that's uh, you know, that's psychologically damaging mm-hmm. when. When in a look at it this way, you know, so so the transgender community, th- there's that term misgendering of you know if you if you are a boy but you're being called a girl, right? Yeah, it it's misgendering, and in Peter's case, I think it's like the aunt and everyone else calling him a girl, referring to him as Angela, when he in his mind is Peter. Yes, you know, mm-hmm. so so that's got to that I feel like you know Sleepaway Camp ultimately just ends up being this like transgender revenge movie of like fuck you society <laughs> for <laughs> for misgendering me and, and calling me what I'm not, right? Yeah. So No, I definitely agree. So with Aunt you. Martha sucks is what I'm basically getting to. She, but but she, I also love her. So. She really does. I agree with you. I absolutely I absolutely love um Desiree's portrayal of her because she's so campy and she's so over the top. But she is a terrible aunt. But I want to point out one thing real quick with this, that the real horror of this scene that I feel like gets missed sometimes is the fact that, remember, this is the 80s. The Mm. horror of this is the fact that Peter does not get to go and live with his dad, Lenny, after this because of how difficult it was to do adoptions and everything like that. He's forced to go and live with somebody who... Aunt, Aunt Martha's own brother doesn't even call her by name. Like when we see them in the movie, he refers to her as he refers to her as Doctor Thomas. Yeah. So there's some <laughs> weird disconnect in there. But the real tragedy of this movie is the fact that Peter's not allowed to go and live with his dad. That's the horror well, of this film. Well, right, because the '80s were very anti-gay, and mm-hmm. and you you obviously get the sense that you know uh, I think what's interesting is that Angela and and Peter in the beginning of the film seem to be living in a very happy family, you know, like, like they've got their two dads and, and everyone seems great. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, normally, or or the way that it should go is, is Peter would have gone to live with their other dad. Right. Yeah. Uh, But because society is the way it is, you know, they might not have viewed him as, as like a member of the family that could take 
Peter in, so he ends up getting sent to Aunt Martha, you know? Yeah. So so that is part of the tragedy as well, is just society's, you know, society's basically hatred towards the queer community and misunderstanding, so... Yeah, that's... It bums me out so much, because, yeah, it was the 80s. They weren't allowed to get married. It would have been really difficult well, to adopt kids or whatever yeah. happened. But, yeah, well, Peter should have gone with Lenny. I'll fucking <laughs> fight you. You should have. Well, <laughs> well, so let's go on to the not more positive topic because this is interesting i mean this is the thing about sleepaway camp like it's a, it's a great movie we all love it but there's there's just a lot of dark shit in this movie yep. right so so what what's your thought on the fact that this film does revolve largely around kids and, and like how does that play to you like look it's the thing that always disappoints me with other camp films is that they want to ignore the fact that camp is about children and it's children unsupervised and the weird shit that they get into and it's one of the things that I love about Sleepaway Camp that I don't feel like a lot of other horror films touch on, which I think is difficult, is in particular middle school mm. and how difficult middle school is because I would argue that middle school is worse than high school. Um, middle school is the worst for me personally. So. Yeah, because middle <laughs> school is that time where everybody's maturing at different rates as we see, you know, Ricky versus Judy and everybody involved in this film. Everybody's maturing at different rates. There's different expectations. And in middle school, you have not learned how to control your jealousy, your rage, your anger. And so kids are so much fucking meaner. Everything's harder and more difficult. So it's one of the things I like that Sleepaway touches on is the fact that no, high school is not the worst that there is for kids. Middle school is. It's a fucking jungle and people die. Right, well, I'm not going to focus on middle school as much, but... Because <laughs> I, I, th I think you just say summer camp and it's the same goddamn thing, but... <laughs> no, summer camp is anywhere but... from elementary to high school. All right, all right. Whatever. I went right. to camp, I know. <laughs> you went to a fake camp. We've already talked about this in the last episode. I did not go to a Your fake camp. Your camp didn't even have campfire horror stories at it night. It probably <laughs> did. I just have a horrible memory. No, we're going to assume it didn't. So anyway, <laughs> uh, your horror story was probably about liberals or whatever since you lived in Wisconsin. Um, Fuck you. So, <laughs> so no, my, my thing with Sleepaway Camp is like, look, you know, I think I, I view this movie as a really dark coming of age story, which is kind of about the death of innocence, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and the reason I say that is like, it all comes down to the opening of the film, which is very eerie, and it's and it's something that I never hear talked about with this movie. Like every time I I read an article on it, or or you know I hear a commentary or whatever, no one ever fucking talks about this, and I don't know why, because the opening of this film is this really eerie just montage of this empty camp, and and the sound of like kids playing and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And then ending on a sign that says the camp is up for sale. Now, I, I, I think that that scene is supposed to in, be interpreted as, you know, it, it's in the future and the camp is now being sold because yeah. there were all these murders there. Thanks yeah. to Angelo, right? <laughs> um, but, but metaphorically, I look at it as this idea of like the, the death of innocence, you know, and, and the death of childhood. and Innocence being up for sale? Kind of, sure, you know, <laughs> ba basically just looking at it as like, you know, camp is like this stepping stone between childhood and adulthood where, you know, camp is kind of like that place where, and again, I'm speaking as someone who didn't go to camp, all right? So I'm, I'm going off of what movies and books have taught me, but. <laughs> as someone who went to camp, I can affirm your assertions. 
So, so films <laughs> media has always taught me that camp is kind of that place where childhood goes to die in a sense because, you know, you go from being a child to now you go to camp and it's kind of like the first time where, you know, you don't really have your parents around you 24-7, you're around kids more than you are adults, uh, mm-hmm. there's less supervision, it's kind of a, you know, it's more like, it's more like Lord of the Flies in that sense, right? Like, you're kind of bit. more on your own, and <laughs> yep. and it's like survival of the fittest, and it's where a lot of kids, uh, to my understanding, you know, have their first kiss, or their first, like, sexual encounter, or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so to me, camp and sleepaway camp is all about just the death of your innocence, and the acknowledgement <laughs> that adulthood is not quite as, you know, beautiful as <laughs> as kids might interpret it as. You know, like as a kid, you're always saying things like, oh, I can't wait until I'm older and I can do this and that. And sleepaway camp is like, hold on, motherfucker. <laughs> you might, you might want to be 12 for a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to admit that's how I felt going to camp. Camp was where I really dealt with you know the girls around me getting more sexually active so the first time i was around girls who were very like look at that boy isn't he cute i'm like let's go ride the horses i don't know what you're talking about but Uh, but yeah it is very much that that death of innocence and there's less protection like we see with angela and artie well and i think the epitome of that is the pedophile character right like and, and the reason being that like you know here's this guy who has been given this job at this camp where it, it he's not he's not hiding it. No. You know, like his his first scene is telling all the people that he works with that he, you know, using the term like baldies and referring Whoa. to all these little kids as like his sex objects, right? Like, you know, everyone that works with this guy, I think has a pretty good idea that he's a fucking pedophile. Yep. And yet no one does anything. No one really seems to care that much. And to me, he's the epitome of what we're talking about right now because, you know, you do have the scene where uh, where Angela is taken into the pantry with him and left alone with him. Mm-hmm. Despite, I think, a lot of people having a pretty good idea of what he is, you know. And she gets taken in this pantry. And, and by the way, like, nerdy comment, like, nerdy film observer comment. Uh, one of the things that's really fun about this movie is that Hiltzik, either either consciously or subconsciously... And I have to imagine it's conscious, uh, places all of these little hints throughout the movie with things using using words. So like mm-hmm. when Angela is in the pantry, pretty fascinating to me that the two boxes that you see in the pantry, one, a word that's heavily emphasized is topless Ugh. and it's on Angela's side. Mm-hmm. And then another word, which is closer to the pedophile side, is tubby. And he's a bigger guy, you know, so so it's like it, basically it's 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 just this idea of like you come to camp and now you can't really ignore your sexuality. No, nope. your sexuality is pointed out to you over and over and over again. Yeah, I'm um, no, I I definitely agree with that. I'm, there's another aspect of this film that's really focused on the kids that I'm curious your thoughts on. And that's, we have these super long sports scenes, which is kind of unusual for a horror film. I feel like for us to kind of watch it almost an entire baseball game without anybody dying. I don't, I mean, 
I don't, I don't know that it's an unusual for a horror film. I mean, there's lots of movies that... Well, I'm you know, always that, wrong. Ignore the wrongness. You are often wrong, <laughs> but, but, it's, but yes, it, the scene itself is strange because it does go on a little bit too long, right? Mm-hmm. Is this baseball scene with all the guys, which has our classic, you know, eat shit and live quote. Uh, sorry, I'm getting buzzed right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that why I actually love that it's there. So, so funny thing is, like, you know, if you read a, if you read a lot of older reviews or, or you know what critics thought about the movie, or even or even people now will will kind of go off on some of the sports scenes, like the baseball scene, and be like, "Why is this scene so long? You know, it just goes on forever. It's just, mm-hmm. Why is this even there? You know?" <laughs> and I think the answer is actually a lot simpler than we might think, and it's really because so okay, so we're dealing with this film that and I, I want to make a note that I don't think that Robert Hiltzik ever intended to make a movie that becomes a conversation piece about gender fluidity and about queerness and transgender and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't think that that was ever his intention. Really? No, really, because I because when you listen to him talk about it, he's not really focused on, you know, any sort of messaging or anything like that. He he really just makes a point of like I just wanted to make something shocking and and that's really you know and, and that's really all it seems to come down to is like it it's all just for shock value I think from his point of view. Yeah. But I think that when you actually look at the films which is why I say it's probably subconscious that this happens when you really look at Sleepaway Camp, you know, these scenes of the camp activities are actually kind of important in the sense that they they sort of reflect how society works in the sense that society, when it comes to gender, places you in one of two categories. You know, you're either male or female. Yeah. And, and it splits it splits the kids up into that. So, like, you look at the baseball scene, it's all boys. Mm-hmm. You know, none of the girls are there playing. And then when you go to the girls, they're all playing volleyball. None of the boys are there playing volleyball. Yeah. And it's why Angela is sitting out because Angela doesn't feel like she fits in with those girls. Mm -hmm. Which, again, is why I think that Angela slash Peter doesn't really feel that they are a girl because I feel like in that moment they don't feel like they fit in with the other girls. Yeah. You know, so... So why I think these scenes are there subconsciously is it's it's talking more about how society ignores or, or not ignores how society wants to place you in one of these two categories and kind of ignores the fact that gender is a bit more complicated than that, you know? Yeah. And, and so, and, and, and I feel like society kind of plays out like that where it's always the boys versus the girls. And if you don't, you know, if you don't visibly identify as, as, as what society thinks you do, mm-hmm. then, then you're left out. Yeah. I can kind of understand that. Like it is, it does seem like a very binary camp, which as somebody who went to camp, that really wasn't a thing that I saw so much. I always had mixed activities, boys and girls all thrown together. So I can totally get what you're saying with this film, very much trying to you know, subconsciously point out how ridiculous it is to hold to these very rigid binary systems. I'd also like to point out, because we brought up the costumes already, in the fact that both of our boys and our girls, everybody's wearing very gender-neutral costumes. If you look at the costuming of everybody in this film, everybody's dressed very similarly. 
everybody's in short shorts or crop tops. And when you look at Angela's costuming in particular, it's very, and it was the 80s, so you had a little bit more like gender neutral clothing happening. But I kind of see that in the same thing with some of these sports scenes. Mm. For me, I kind of see them as a reminder that like we're dealing with kids and with camps. It's a grounding moment for us to see this is what children interact like. They're little shits that pick on each other <laughs> I, and are <laughs> awful. I mean, I think I think it's less about them being shits. I, I, I they are th- though. <laughs> they are, but I but I do think it's more about you know. I think it's more about commenting on the fact that someone like Angela, mm-hmm. you know, someone who fits into that transgender community, uh, or you know, is being misgendered in a sense, right? Yeah. So like, so like, if you do identify as a boy, and you're being forced to, you know, participate in the girls' volleyball activities, you might sit out and yeah. feel left out, like Angela does in this movie, right? Yeah, you're gonna and, feel uncomfortable, right? So, so it's why I think there's such an emphasis on those scenes. It's really just to show the the division between the two, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the sort of you know it, and again, the sort of say like how it is so binary in a sense in society and the way that it views things. When, when again, it's more complicated than that, you yeah. know. And 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 also. You know, like Chris says, like it. You know, in her camp activities, like you know, it, it wasn't like that, right? Yeah. Like you, you were more mixed together, and there, there's a comment as the boys are playing baseball and and the younger team wins, and it's 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 viewed as like an insult of them telling the other team of like maybe they can play the girls next time, you know. <laughs> And and I just want to say that like there are so many girls that would whoop my fucking ass in sports, you know. And it's just I guarantee and, Judy will kick all their asses. Oh, totally. And it, and it fits into this conversation right now that's going on where you know you have all these fucking asshole states that are trying to say that like you know tr- trans girls or boys can't play in in sports, you know, with and, the gender and, they identify as. Exactly and try and trying to say that there's like some kind of disadvantage or advantage with that and it's all fucking bullshit. It's such you know? bullshit. Uh, so so I think that again Sleepaway Camp probably unintentionally <laughs> is actually a really good commentary on that of just how of just how much society splits us up into those two groups and then doesn't really give a fuck about what we identify as, you yeah. know. And it's touching on, like, how easy it is to kind of feel left out, in yeah. a sense, you know? So, anyway, so we're starting to run long, so I want to move on to our next thing really quick, uh, which is just talking about the ending. Of course, <laughs> of course, we have to talk about the ending. So, actually, one of our listeners and big supporters, uh, James, has a comment for us here. So, he's on Twitter, at JamesShannonMo2. So, that's James, S-H-A-N-N-O-N-M-O, and then the number two. And he wanted to ask our thoughts on the ending and if we consider it the most what-the-fuck moment in horror history. <laughs> um, I do think it's definitely up there for one of the most what-the-fuck moments because it is a very intense moment. Like, Because no. also, you know, we've been spending a lot of this episode talking about the fact that it's children. We do not see nude children that often. So that alone is huge on top of the gender reveal ostensibly. I'm not, and again, on how I have no idea how this movie didn't get an NC-17. Right? <laughs> Look, I view the ending as, as you put it, the director was just going for shock value with 100%. it. 100%. Yeah. For me, honestly, like, I don't know, I guess the first time that I watched this, like, yes, that ending and that reveal is shocking. But again, I watched it later in life. And so for me, I was just like, 
All right. I mean, Angela killed all of them because they're assholes. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I mean, that face terrifies me. I'm not going to lie. That face is horrifying. No, I am sorry. There is no reaction to sleepaway camp that's just, all right. (laughs) I mean, I feel like it's one of those things. Like, I saw it more in my 20s. And so there was more comfort and more discussion happening about, you know, sexuality. It doesn't make it any less shocking that there's a fucking teenage penis on I, I think my brain was more just like I should not be looking at a teenager like that please put some clothes on um, <laughs> put some clothes on yeah I don't I don't really care Person. about all of that I just I feel for you because look for me with it and with Angela Peter whichever I feel the same way about them that I feel about Carrie in the fact that I'm watching somebody who's been bullied throughout the movie, who's getting vengeance on their bullies in very horrific ways. And so when the reveal happened, I honestly had a moment where I was just like, this is shocking, but also I don't I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this information. Oh my God. Um <laughs> My brain is weird. <laughs> Okay. I, I love the fact that Matt has no idea what to do with me sometimes. I, I really don't. So I guess the way I react to it is just that, you know, for, first of all, yes, James, I, I do consider this to be, if not the most shocking ending in horror, it's up there. Yeah. It's, it's certainly up there, you know. I mean, there, there are so many shocking endings in horror that it's hard to... You know, it's hard to place on one like that is the most shocking, mm-hmm. especially since we all kind of view this stuff differently, right? But my God, I mean, if you're talking about, especially for fucking 1983, if you're talking about an ending to just rock the audience, oh, Sleepaway Camp is absolutely up there. I mean, it's got to be top five, if not the most shocking. So especially if we're just narrowing it down to like slasher movies, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, first of all, I just want to go into a little background of this before I get into, like, my my brainy, you know, view on it, <laughs> uh, which is just that, you know, it's actually kind of fascinating, like, how this scene came around because I just wanted to point this out because of how ridiculous it is. Initially, the conversation around how to shoot the scene was, keep in mind, Felissa Rose was 13 at the time, okay? Uh, the director, the director really wanted to have kids playing kids, and I respect him for that. Mm-hmm. But Felissa was 13 at the time, and I guess the original conversation around this was they were just going to place a uh, essentially a strap-on. Like, they were gonna they were going to make a prosthetic. <laughs> I don't want to see a 13-year-old naked! <laughs> they were going to place a prosthetic on Felissa Rose and have that initially be the way that scene was presented, and, and and very quickly, it seems like that idea was scrapped because they they started to build the prosthetic and, you know, were immediately like, ah, I don't know about this. And of course, <laughs> Felissa's mom was like, fuck no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fuck no, my daughter's not wearing a strap on for your movie. Uh, so they ended up scrapping it. And what they ended up doing is they took a college kid, like a, a, a kind of, you know, more like like skinnier looking college kid. And they had him get super drunk and put on uh, a Felissa Rose mask, right? And <laughs> I like the fact that and, drunk was a key component of this. Well, when you consider the fact that you have to go wear a a, a different gendered mask <laughs> in the cold, because they were shooting in the fall, mm-hmm. in the cold, naked, in front of a camera crew, yeah, I think it makes <laughs> sense that maybe you'd be given a few beers before doing it, right? 
But anyway, so that's just a little bit of backstory on that. But as for the actual scene itself, I mean, it's just... <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, it's just, it's just an incredibly... Uh, moment that has just stretched over time for the last 40 years, you know? Yeah. Where it's like everybody, the first... The, the moment you mentioned Sleepaway Camp, that's the first thing that we all think about. Yeah. <laughs> and... And again, so look, I want to, I want to, I want to once again just touch really quick on whether or not the film is problematic, and because you know this is the moment where it's like, this is the moment where I think that you do ultimately fall into one camp of it's problematic or it's not, mm-hmm. and I think that when you look again, I just want to clarify when you look at Sleepaway Camp, to me. The way that this moment plays with learning that Peter was forced to become Angela by his aunt and not by his own choice, mm-hmm. I don't view him as technically transgender. You know, I, I view him as being forced into this by his aunt and and becoming psychologically traumatized by that, mm-hmm. you know, which has obviously altered his psychology and I think actually kind of makes him in more of like an anti-hero in a sense because he he's really just killing people that kind of fucking deserve it. Yeah, they're fucking bullies <laughs> and they're assholes. You know, like he like it like it really is just kind of like this anger to society of mm-hmm. misgendering him, you know, and, and taking it out in that way, which again is why I think it appeals to some in the transgender community. But but I don't view him as transgender technically, and so. You know, so I think it. So I think it's different than when you look at characters like Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. where Silence of the Lambs absolutely demonizes. Yes. The transgender community. Yeah. Silence of the Lambs basically says, "Hey, this person right here, they're psychotic because they're transgender." Like yep. that's that's kind of what Silence of the Lambs does, right? Mm-hmm. And and Sleepaway Camp isn't really doing that. Sleepaway Camp is more so saying, "I I actually think in a weird way." It has a more positive message in a sense of it saying, like, do not misgender people because that is what's harmful. Yeah. You know? Now, again, I do not think that that is what the director is trying to say. I think the director is just going for shock value. But I think that when you ultimately look at what the film's doing here, it is kind of more so saying that Angela lost it because they are constantly being misgendered. Yeah. You know, because they are not allowed to be who they are. So. Well, and I agree with you. And, you know, before we did this, I tried to read some articles about Sleepaway Camp written by transgender people. I tried to talk to some friends who were transgender to kind of get their viewpoint on it. And I think at the end of the day, because of because of the lack of intent from the director, that's yeah. what makes this film problematic. But you oh, can, totally. It can be problematic and you love it because there are a lot of aspects whether – it was not intentional on the director's part, but, you know, you can identify with. Yeah, um, and, and I don't want to clarify, like, I think that if you look at the film just on surface value, mm-hmm. it's absolutely prob- problematic, you know, yes. because cause the director, what the director is doing in not having the intent that I just described and mm-hmm. just going for shock value, the director is demonizing the transgender community. Yes. The, the director is making shock value out of the idea of being transgender you know the director is saying look at this transgender person how scary you know like they absolutely are doing that 
But if you want to read further into it, that's where I think that you can find more positivity out of it. Yeah, and I agree with you on that because I think when it comes down to, again, Peter, Angela, however they identify, you know, they are not killing people because of being transgender. When you look at it, when you step back from, from Sleepaway Camp, they are killing people who are assholes and who are bullying. That's why, for me, I very much liken it to Carrie. Mm. And even more so specified than Carrie. Because Carrie just killed fucking everybody at the end. It she did. did not matter. <laughs> Carrie kind of loses it at the end. <laughs> Whereas Angela very specifically targets people who are assholes. And so, yeah, I view it as an anti-hero. They are specifically going after people who have done them legitimate harm. And they are, by horror standards completely in the right to murder those people yeah but yeah i think that's why sleepaway camp is so complicated because it was not made with the best intentions but out of accident there is a lot of things that can be pulled for it that is very representative of the community as far as i've read and talked to other people again i can't speak personally no it's um, all yeah and same here and, and some of what i'm saying is coming from doing the same thing and researching yep. what the transgender community had to say about it but we tried to do our research yeah but no i i you know so i guess ultimately like i i think that if you think it's problematic that's fine and yeah. if you don't think it's problematic that's fine too i i honestly see both sides of it you know yeah. Uh, but you, I, but you are I, justified in whatever your thinking is. Yeah, and, and I think I also just look at it as like, look, you know, there are there are not a lot of positive transgender representations out there. Nope. There's especially not a lot of just whether they're positive or not transgender uh, killers in horror or nope. representation in horror. So I think that you know, it, so I think that it makes sense to look at this and say, look, you know, it's problematic. But there's some positivity to take out of this. Mm -hmm. And at the very least, it's like, at least it's some it's some kind of representation, mm -hmm. you know, and representation is so important. And so it like so I don't know, it, it's it, it is that complicated thing of like Angela slash Peter is this character where it's like, I totally understand why some of the transgender community gravitates towards them. And I also understand why others look at it as like. I want nothing to do with that movie yeah. because it demonizes it. And, I, and I, I see both sides. Yeah, and here's the thing. That's the great thing about media because let's be honest, we all need different things from media. So it's it's <laughs> going to give things to some people that they need. They need that catharsis I, of seeing someone murder their bullies. It's actually really funny. I saw this, I saw this stupid tweet. Uh, I forget who, probably like from some white senator, you know, since they're all <laughs> fucking terrible. Um yep. But I, I saw there's this tweet from some white person I saw on Twitter recently where they were like, uh, you know, going off about something of, you know, the whiteness is being erased from media. Like I all I saw in commercials recently are, you know, there's no white men or whatever. And, <laughs> and, and someone responded to it with like, oh, so what you're saying is representation matters. And, media. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, it's totally Ew. true. Like that it fucking matters, you know. And Ew. so. So sometimes, whether it's positive or negative, it's it, it's just we latch on to these things because mm -hmm. we want to be represented. Like you know, so I can't I can't speak to something as important as a transgender community, but I know mm -hmm. for me, I I was bullied a ton as a kid, right? So like whenever I see bullies in horror movies, or whenever I see the bullied person in horror movies, they're usually the villain. You know, they're yeah. usually the the Arnie's from Christine mm -hmm. or Carrie from Carrie. You know, they're they're villains or they're anti heroes usually. 
but I still gravitate towards them because they represent me in some way, you know? Yeah. Whether they're positive or negative, they represent me. So Look, and for me, like it's cool getting to see Angela. That's why I like so much that Angela gets vengeance on Paul. Because for me as a girl, getting to see someone take vengeance on those shitty dudes that like try to pretend to be nice and are fucking assholes is really fucking cathartic. Yeah, well fuck Paul. <laughs> fuck Paul. Well look, uh, re- representation is important. We need more not only in heroes but in villains where people are villains not because of who they are in terms of race, gender, identity, anything like that. But they're just villains because they're bad people. And, and, and that is the important thing I think with Sleepaway Camp to remember is that you know, I don't think that Angela is a villain because they're transgender or not, or however you view it. Mm-hmm. They're a quote-unquote villain because they're fucking taking vengeance on people who are assholes. Yes, <laughs> like fucking child rapists. Right, exactly. So, you know. The, so <laughs> The real villain is the United States system that didn't let Peter stay with his dad, Lenny. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a.k.a. society. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but all right, we got to start wrapping up, so we've already gone way over time. Uh, so who's your killer idiot of sleepaway camp? Look, that's Eddie, the camp counselor that fucking leaves four children in the forest unattended. You're a fucking idiot, Eddie. You're an idiot. Are you really going to give it to Eddie and not Mel, who has kids dropping like fucking flies at his camp? And he's like... I'm going to keep things going. I'm sure it'll be fine. Well, Mel's a piece of shit. Mel, he is a piece of shit, but he's a fucking moron. Who who sees kids dropping like flies and is like, I'm sure this can't get any worse. You know? Capitalists. He, he's basically the mayor from Jaws, but for a camp with little kids. And look, we all know how the mayor from Jaws things goes. It's always a little kid that dies first. <laughs> yeah. Look, he's just another fucking stupid capitalist that would rather protect the bottom line than lives. This'll ruin me. Well, buddy, I think you're going to be more ruined when, like, 50 more people die. <laughs> and you get sued because people died at your camp. Right. I would rather be sued by one parent for the death of their child than 30 parents for the death of their children. <laughs> Here's my thing. He's a dumb capitalist, so of course he's going to make the decisions. Eddie's supposed to be smarter than that. Don't leave kids is unattended. He, is no, he supposed to be smarter? No, he's 17. He's a dumb we, shit. We, we have not acknowledged this whole episode how... Maybe teenagers shouldn't be in in charge of children at camp. They absolutely <laughs> should not. I remember Maybe it should be adults. <laughs> I remember when one of my friends who was the same age was also an assistant camp counselor. And it yeah. was weird. Yeah. You know that that needs a change. Like I, yeah. I don't go to camp. I don't know if that's different now, but Probably that, not. But that should maybe not be a thing. Nope. Uh what about your killer death of sleepaway camp? Fucking Artie the child molester cook. He doesn't die though. I do. I like to see him get burned. He's a child molester. Fair. He doesn't die though. Oh fuck you. Fine. <laughs> Bean man who got covered in raspberries then. You just call him Bean Man? <laughs> I forgot who the fuck he is. Why is he Bean Man? <laughs> because he got killed by bees. Oh, Bee Man. Yeah. Okay. The dude who got murdered by bees, and then they covered him with raspberries to look like bee bites. They did, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little drunk at this point. Just uh, watch that movie. Look at his arms. They just put fucking raspberries on him, and it's my favorite thing. They did, but the effects people are actually very good in this movie. And... Oh, they're fantastic. This is not a knock against them. Yeah, and it's it's why my killer death is actually Mel, because 
the arrow effect oh, so is smooth. really good. Yeah. You know, like, like sometimes, like, you know. Can we talk about the fact that Mel beat a kid to death? No, we can't because I'm talking about the arrow through his neck, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, when we watch something like Friday 13, say, for example, right? The original Friday 13. You know, Kevin Bacon's death in that movie. We always talk about that death as like, oh, it's such a great death. Mm-hmm. And it is. I'm not saying it's not. Yeah. But that's a death where, like, you don't really have to be a film per like a hardcore film person to really kind of figure out how it was done, right? Mm-hmm. He's just you know? lying down. No, he's not just lying down. <laughs> it's very it's very obvious that it's a body prosthetic with Kevin Bacon's head poking through the pillow, right? So uh-huh. uh so that they can have the the arrow come through the neck, which is a fake neck. Yeah. Like it that's all you can kind of figure that out, right? Mm-hmm. Mel's death is one where, like, I had to go listen to the effects artists talk about how they did it because you watch it and you're like, I don't know how the fuck they did this. So how you know, they do the, it? I'm gonna get there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> the the death the death of Mel is fascinating because you know he's standing there and he has his death where an arrow is shot through his neck, and when you watch the frame, it really looks like an arrow is shot through his neck. And initially, I thought. Well, maybe it's one of those things where they do it in reverse, right? Where they, you know, where like maybe they pulled the arrow out of his neck and it's shot and, and it's just played backwards. But that doesn't make any sense because then you'd have to explain, well, you know, he's not he's obviously not a head on top of a prosthetic because he's a fucking person. Mm-hmm. So how did they do this, right? And it turns out that it's some kind of device where where the arrow actually is like shot into the neck and then it triggers some some kind or, or no it's not shot to the neck but it's i don't remember exactly how to describe this but basically the the arrow hitting the front part of the neck triggers a device that's in the back that causes the back part of the arrow to flip up so that it looks like the arrow shot through his oh, neck right oh that's cool it, it, it's very complicated but it's a great effect you know like it's it's i love effects like this where you know nerds like me have to really study it to figure out how the hell they did this because you just, you watch it and it, it it's, it's like mind blowing. You know, mm-hmm. this is done back in a time where we didn't have fucking, you know, digital effects making everything easier on us. Right. So, so it just, I don't know. I miss innovative shit like that. A, that's fucking awesome. B, can we give credit to Angela for being that much of a marksman that you can shoot a fucking arrow through a dude's neck at like 50 paces? <sighs> Pretty impressive. Uh, all right, so what about your killer MVP of Sleepaway Camp? Look, hater or hater, it goes to Desiree Gould for the most iconic aunt ever. I <laughs> am, Look, Aunt Martha is not a good person, but I fucking love her portrayal, that campiness, her costuming, everything about her, like, I, I think I might be in love with her, even though she's a terrible aunt who should never be in charge of children, ever. Probably not. No, um, but I like the campiness. Is, does that make me a bad person? I mean, a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, for me, it's easy. It's Felissa Rose. Obviously. Like, but, like, I figured you would say her, so I didn't have to. Yeah, I mean, F- Felissa for me, I mean, for God's sakes, you know, she's only 12. She's only like 13 at the time. And, it, you know, she th- this is a this is a tough role for her to really sell. You know, she doesn't have any dialogue. It's all, it's all visual based through her face or through her features. Right. And and to, to have 
uh, as iconic of a role as she did with so little dialogue and all mm-hmm. just based off of her facial expressions. I mean, that's really tough to do, especially as a child actor, right? Yeah. So, so, so I really give her a lot of credit for that. I think she's a great actress. Uh, obviously, she has the iconic moment in the movie that we all remember with her mouth open and you, that you know. that fucking like scream and like breathing will haunt me until the day I die. It'll haunt all of us until the day we die, Chris. Um, <laughs> You're not but, special. But no, but no, it's just it, she she's great. You know, like she she really sells this movie. And my my second option would be Karen Fields as Judy because I I do really think that Fields is probably one of the best bullies in horror. She ever. is like, such a bitch, and I mean that as a compliment. Well, and she does it in a way where she's having fun being a bitch, and you can tell and. It, uh, and I just think she does just such a great job of selling that character. <laughs> and she adds subtle nuance to that character. You can tell that Judy is more than just a bitch, but because she's not the main character, we don't get into why she's acting out. And the actress does bring those extra levels that makes Judy believable as yeah. a child bully. Well, she's probably acting out because she's got tits now, and she's living in a world where she's fucking... Everybody's objectifying you know, her. Exactly. So She just wants <laughs> to play volleyball and be left alone. Probably. So that's probably <laughs> what turned her into a bitch. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's a very sad story for Judy, actually. So, Poor Judy. Uh, so anyway, that's going to do it for us on Sleepaway Camp. We've been rambling long enough because we love this movie so much. Uh, so, <laughs> so next week, we're going to wrap up our deadly summer camp theme with the burning uh another classic summer camp film also talking about cropsy who is you know who we talked about with <laughs> madman last week cropsy uh, round two exactly so so we'll be wrapping it up with that uh otherwise just thank you for listening hopefully chris and i were respectful enough on the topic we tried <laughs> definitely tried please don't hold it against us if if we got anything wrong here but Anyway, just thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed, and have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>